Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the $3 billion Private Equity Injections podcast, The Sportacast. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. All right, I like it. You, you, you tried a little something there. You look like your video backdrop today, and people don't get to see it. But I'm looking at you over our, our system here. You look like you're in for a schwitz. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, has, it very much has like Swedish uh, spa vibes in here. This is a cabin in Pennsylvania that has a wood-lined uh, interior. So you won't be throwing the hot water on the rocks to get the temperature up. Uh, you're all good, though. It's a, it's uh, yeah, a climate-controlled atmosphere. You know me. I can sweat in 60, 50-degree weather even. So yeah. who knows? We'll see. The brow might be uh, might be glistening by the end of this. <laughs> all right. So you teased what we're going to talk about first. And late at night, just as we love it, right? News comes across. Hello, Tarek Panja. Way to be a thorn in my side. And breaking news late at night. Great job, Tarek, at the New York Times. But La Liga is taking a $3 billion infusion of cash from CVC Capital Partners, no strangers to the sports world. Uh, No surprise here, Eben, in that if you know La Liga, of course, that includes Barcelona. Did you like the way I, I went with my field there? Barcelona, <laughs> right? I think, I think, wait, is that Galicia, Asturias, Vascongada? I think that's the Vascongadas region. I think, I'm not sure, but it's Barcelona. And uh, Real Madrid, of course. Catalan, but maybe not. Could be. It could be Catalan. Just let okay. me sound smart. I know it's uh, Galicia, <laughs> Asturias, Vascongada. I don't know the rest of the the rest of the uh, the regions there. Um, but if you know something about the Barcelona finances, which we do, you know they're paying a ton of money. They want to try try and resign. I like to say uh, Lionel. You like to say Lionel Messi. Uh, they've spent a lot of cash. A lot of the teams, because of the pandemic, uh, were hemorrhaging money. And this, if approved, would uh, would certainly go a long way toward balancing those books. This is something we're seeing, Scott, in a lot of a lot of European soccer leagues, and we even talked about it domestically here in the U.S. This is essentially the plan that for uh, for a while the Pac-12 had um, to, to to sell a, a stake in its media rights to a private equity investor as a way to get cash now to kind of balance the books until the bigger media deals came in. Syria ah, had an agreement in place just like this, Scott, with, with CVC. It was eventually with CVC. Yeah, yeah. and shot down by some of its smaller clubs, I believe. I don't think that deal is actually going to happen now. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on whether you think the Spanish teams might be more open to this kind of agreement than the Italian teams were. But I believe the Bundesliga, to some degree, was also considering maybe selling off a stake in its 
its media rights. Just as you said, you know, because of the pandemic, there's a short term cash crunch. And this is, a, as we've talked about many times in the show, an easy way to get capital up front. Yeah, I- I've talked to some folks uh, involved with La Liga. The expectation, and by the way, they didn't want this to go the way of the Super League. It was it was explained to me this was kept super tight in case it fell apart, you know. But of course, it did come out, and uh, uh, it was explained to me that the thought is that there will be significant uh, support for the idea. They did say, well, I don't, I don't know if like Real Madrid would approve it. You know that that was the one franchise everybody looked at and said, well, maybe not Real, but. Um, I think the the overwhelming feeling is that this will pass, and uh, the teams will wind up taking taking the money. And like you said, we're we're, we're seeing this across all sports: this private equity uh, infusion, LP stakes, passive stakes across multiple franchises and leagues. But why not just buy you know buy into the whole league? Right, it's easier. You, they can distribute the money any way they see fit to the individual clubs. But certainly, I like when it's it's. I mean, you can call it. A, an investment, right? A strategic investment. This is a, it's a lifeline. <laughs> you know, they needed the cash. It's a, it's a lifeline. Let's call it what it is that some of these teams desperately needed the money. Uh, and CVC was there to fill the void because, as we said, they've been poking around and doing deals, some, some completing, some not uh, in sports for a while now. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Super League because you and I would probably say the Super League is dead. I think the only two clubs in the world that wouldn't say that are probably Barcelona, Barcelona and Real Madrid. And Real, yeah. And the the reasoning, part of the reasoning behind the Super League, I think, is part of kind of the the thesis behind taking private equity investment from CVC. Right? It is this idea that. This has been a really tough year for for soccer and especially for the big clubs for whom they make a lot of money. They make over a billion dollars in revenue, but they spend almost all that money on player salaries that that for them, um, just because of their business models, there is a, a big desire right now for something to change financially. I don't know if this, you know, if this deal happens, if that maybe ends the quest for for Barcelona and Real Madrid to 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 really actively seek the Super League but I do see kind of the same threads involved in this partnership that I do see in the Super League in that there are these big clubs they spend a ton of money they actually don't have massive margins and this p- pandemic has hit them pretty significantly well you know when when one company acquires another oftentimes the deal will be contingent on successful employment contracts with key personnel I would think that this would be the same thing. Deal contingent upon Barcelona and Real Madrid being a part of this and not separating to do something else. Because as you said, they it's not lost on everyone that they are the drivers of the interest of the revenue. Uh, I'm expecting some staccato press releases out of La Liga. Boom, number one. La Liga approves plan with CVC, right? Boom. And then maybe five minutes after that from Barcelona... Yeah, have re-signed Lionel Messi to a whatever X million dollar contract, right? Uh, it, one will depend on the other. They have to have that infusion of cash before they dole it out. You might as well play in the NBA. I mean, we're not going to get this, but you and I have talked in this and I'm going off on a tangent here, Evan, but the dollars going around to some of these NBA players, and I'm not ashamed to admit some of them I have not heard of. I'm not, you know, I don't watch every game, but I think I know some NBA stuff, right? And I'm like, wait, who got what? With who? <laughs> There's some serious dollars being thrown around. Yeah, if you look at the list of NBA players making more than $25 million in the upcoming year, uh, you're right. There's a there's a bunch of names. I think even people who cover who, who follow the league 
semi closely might not even even record. We chose the wrong profession, Scott. Turns out journalism does not pay the way that uh, being a sixth man in the NBA pays. <laughs> hey, but if you hit free agency, I mean, I would pony up for you. So feel good about that. <laughs> Mac, Mac Tell me about Simone Biles. <laughs> yeah, let, let's swing over to Tokyo. T- let's talk about sort of we're in week two uh, of the games. The gymnastics portion is is over. We're moving to the track. We've I think we can already identify who the enduring stars of the game will be, who, the, who they are, uh, who's going to get the endorsements, who people are going to talk about, who am I going to see on TV. Um, Simone Biles still among them, even though the games did not go the way she would have wanted them to go. Um, uh, Simone is still a huge name, now brings a different sort of appeal, maybe to corporations, talking about mental health, uh, talking about the pressure and how she dealt with it. Uh, but there are others as well. Simone right up there, but her her stepping aside left a vacancy that others stepped into. Yeah, and we can start with Simone. You're talking about, about Suni Lee right there who won the won the all-around gold in gymnastics. Uh, a young woman who's going, it seems like, is still going to attend Auburn and we can talk about the NIL implications there. I want to go back to Simone for a second because you're right. I think heading into the Olympics, we would have been very confident that that one of the biggest storylines here was going to be Simone Biles. It has not been the storyline that I think we expected, but she is still dominating headlines and dominating social media chatter. And I think you're right, Scott. I think the thing that she's done, if for the past 10 years of her dominance in gymnastics, the idea was she was this robotic, extremely professional, all-encompassing, best athlete we've ever seen, highest performer, et cetera. What she's shown now is a human side. Uh, that she, you know, she struggled in the Olympics. She had the wherewithal. I, I would argue, you know, she w- was a very kind of gracious gesture to remove herself at a time when it seemed like she was not going to help the team win a medal. The team went on to win silver with her cheering. It created this extra star in SUNY. She came back to the Olympics later and won a bronze medal. Um, I think that humanizes Simone a lot. I don't know if that's a better alternative or a worse alternative for her bank account than if she had just come here to Tokyo and cleaned up in the same way that she cleaned up in Rio. Um, But I'm not concerned for her (laughs) in, in any way. And I do think that she can maybe have a bigger impact kind of on the commercial world in this realm. And I kind of think of Michael Phelps in this world. Also, you mentioned mental health. Michael Phelps has pivoted since he's no longer the best swimmer in the world. He's pivoted to being a big advocate and an investor in the, in the mental health space. And if Simone wants to do that, I think there's a tremendous opportunity there for her as well. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for all these athletes, especially those that cleaned up and make it look easy because that would obviously be Caleb Dressel in the pool and I saw that some of the mantras that he wrote down for himself before the games, you're going to like these. It's all mental health related, Evan. One, what's going to happen is going to happen. Two, give yourself a chance. Three, control what you can control. Four, progress, not perfection. And five, pressure is good. Stress is bad. Stress is self-made. So even he before the games was sort of cognizant of the, the pressure and the mental load that is put upon these athletes. Um, and I think there's room for him there, but he's another one, surely the standout star for, if we're going to give like gold medals coming out of these games, Simone Biles is still there. Big name, maybe in a new area, Caleb Dressel, you mentioned Suni Lee for sure. And we think you and I agree. There's, there's probably one more name from the track, 
who has really got sort of that breakthrough. I mean, already has a ton of followers on Instagram and all that. So probably already an influencer, but only bolstered by her performance on the track. I think we're talking about Sydney McLaughlin there who just won That's gold who we're talking in, about. in the 400 meter. I believe she set a world record. Uh, she's been the kind of it next star for us track and field for a while now. doesn't hurt that she's gorgeous. <laughs> that helps on the marketing side. Um, and she's, there was a big push a couple of years ago when she was a, a sneaker free agent to see who was going to sign her. I think the common expectation was that it would be Nike because Nike is so dominant in that world. She ended up with new balance, which is actually carving out a pretty nice track roster roster uh, for itself. I believe the woman who finished second uh, to, 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 to Sydney McLaughlin, I believe she's a New Balance athlete. Also, Gabby Thomas, another American star. She's a New Balance athlete, I believe. Um, but yes, I think Sydney McLaughlin, if, if you try to think forward to three years to, to Paris, Shakari Richardson, I think for other reasons, is going to be a huge name on the track. But Sydney McLaughlin is, is someone that is not, not going away anytime soon, it's, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I definitely. They had some young players, uh, young athletes too. Some seriously young athletes that were accomplished uh, on the track that get, get you the feeling that another four years and you know, you're going to hear more and more and stardom is sure to emerge. Now, you, of course, were a star on the lightweight football team at Princeton. You know, if you were a gymnast, Eben, which would be your event? What, what do you think you'd be good at? Oh, I would be bad at all of them. Uh, <laughs> I saw so I saw one of the athletes yesterday, like doing incredible releases on the high bar. Some guy, and he missed one uh, crashing down on his back, and then got back up and continued the routine. And when crashing back down on his face, I was like, "Oh my lord, this poor guy!" But finished up with a smile on his face. Made me think. Like of, think, think of you. Good, <laughs> I'd like to think I'd be good at the rings, but I'm sure I would. Uh, I would not be. Um, but to, but to close the book on gymnastics, let's go back to Suni Lee for a second because uh, she is having a lot of success. Right before she was possibly going to uh, to college, she'd committed to Auburn. It was unclear if she was going to go at all. Um, now I think she is going to go and. It, because of name, image, and likeness, I think that's a big factor here. She is, you know, one of the future stars of the sport. In a normal world, you win a gold medal and you essentially go pro and you start touring and making a lot of money because you're a huge name. Now, in some ways, she can do both of those things, Scott. She can go to Auburn. She can compete on the team in gymnastics. I'm sure she'd do very well. Uh, and simultaneously, she can capitalize commercially on the gold medal that she won and the silver medal that she won in the team competition, et cetera. Um, yeah, so yeah. If, we're, we're if seeing there was a no change NIL, in the market here. Yeah. If there was no NIL, there's, I mean, I, I mean, who I always want to leave a little room for, of course, maybe she's just so into the education that she'd go do it. I, I get that. But I, I will say it hyperbolically that there's zero chance that she would be going to university come the, you know what, another few weeks right now, I mean, no time to be on campus. If that prevented her from cashing in on the millions that whether, you know, whatever the, the cereal, the, the athletic line, the sneak, whatever it may be, um, now she has that option, can go to school, can also make money from name, image, and likeness. And don't you think, by the way, from the university standpoint, that all the promotion with having her associated with Auburn University only buoys Auburn? It's a good thing. So much more attention. I don't think you and I in the next four years would have ever once spoken about the Auburn gymnastics team, male or female. <laughs> However, 
we're going to take a peek now in, over the next four years. You're 100% right. And, and you know that I've been saying this since from, for the past year as we knew NIL was coming. The, the idea that teams were going to be on the on the opposite side of these deals, I always thought was laughable. We've now seen two different schools. I know UNC is one. I think Ohio State is the other that is now essentially creating an avenue for their athletes to use the school marks to do to do deals. This is the way I think it was always going to go. Auburn wants the Auburn logo on Suni Lee when she's on the Wheaties box, when she's doing the car commercial, when she's doing X and Y. There, there's so much, you're right, so much added benefit to the school there. Um, and, and, and you know, we, we talk about this a lot. The athletes are bigger stars than the teams that they're on most often. Just look at the followers for LeBron James versus the Lakers, right? It's it's three or four X what the Lakers have is, is who follows LeBron James. And there's tremendous benefit on both sides for LeBron to be able to, to do it in an NBA jersey and for the Lakers to be able to catch kind of all of the things that LeBron is doing uh, kind of alongside of that. And college sports is no different. So you're, you're absolutely right. I think Suni Lee is a great example of exactly why schools were pressing towards the end of, of, of the spring we're pressing their st- state legislatures to get deals on the books and why they're going to be an active participant in players' NIL deals moving forward. Yeah, they always say in college athletics that the sports teams are the front porch you know, to the university. That's a good way in. And then you, then you get in and you can do all the academics and, and everything else. Now, is there a front porch to the front porch? That the athletes themselves are the front porch, even more so that obviously if you're at Alabama or Auburn, it is the football team. I, I I get that. But if you're a star quarterback at one of those programs, you certainly have just as much cachet and the ability to pull in eyeballs to you, to the team, and then moving forward to the university. Be great to see next year the uh, applications to Auburn. You know, why? What was it that drew you here? If we get a little checkbox, is it you know, the, the campus, the uh, the major, SUNY Lee, you know, what was the reason? Why are you here at Auburn University? Uh, it'd be interesting to see how much she does drive applications. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of those things where the sum is worth more than the whole of its parts. I'm getting the butchering the phrase there. Yeah, that, but that was not good. <laughs> no wonder you can't close the show. It is, it is rare. And SUNY Lee is a rare exception here, but it's kind of rare for athletes to get to college and have a massive following already. In a lot of a lot of ways, the college is the springboard by which they get that massive following. Uh, so it's not like a professional athlete who maybe comes to his new team with a huge, huge following. Suni Lee, again, I think is the exception here. But yes, I think that the, the, the schools that are going to be on the cutting edge here are the ones that recognize that if we work with our athletes, we can help them raise their profile. That in turn helps raise our profile. And that helps from a recruiting advantage. I mean, again, we haven't talked about it directly, but this is going to help Auburn gymnastics recruit for sure. Come be on the team with the the all-around Olympic champion. Um, that is also going to help tremendously, probably not just for its gymnastics, but for its athletic department as a whole. So there are so many ways beyond even just the marketing deals in which Auburn benefits from whatever the structure is that lets SUNY Lee decide, I just want a gold medal and I'm going to go to school and compete in the SEC. All right. You just had a mouthful there, but I'm going to force you to speak a lot again because you wrote the story on Olympic ticketing. Some big changes coming what do we need to know and who is affected? Yeah, I think if, if any anyone who's listening here has ever tried to buy uh, tickets for the Olympics from the US, you're familiar with a company called CoSport or a company called Jet Set Sports. It's actually the same company. They have for more, more or less the past 30 years been had the monopoly on U.S. Olympic ticket sales, um, and they've done that through a partnership with the with, with Team USA. 
that now appears to be changing. It's been very controversial for, for a while now. It's controversial currently because they're being sued by people who were not given 100% refunds for Tokyo tickets that they bought. Um, if you bought tickets for Tokyo in Canada, for example, you got a 100% refund. If you bought them in the US, you only got about a 75% refund. So there's a lawsuit going here. Um, their deal ends after Beijing, and it does not seem, Scott, like there's going to be a ton of foreigners, if any foreigners, on the ground in Beijing buying tickets. So that's going to be another financial hit. But the biggest problem for this company is that the IOC is totally redoing its ticket strategy. And as I've said, the way it works right now is if I'm an American, I have a different set of options when I'm buying than I do if I'm a Canadian, if I'm in Great Britain, if I'm in Japan. Each country has its own kind of individual ticket ecosystem. The IOC, in conjunction with the organizing committees in Paris, in Milan Cortino, and in LA, is thinking, you know what, why don't I just have one platform? Why don't I make it so that if you want to go to the Olympics from Japan, from Germany, or from the US, you're all looking at the same hospitality options. You're all looking at the same ticketing options. That seems like it's going to be the what's going to be in play from 2024 moving forward. So for a company like CoSport, JetSet Sports, they've had this really big business advantage for the past 30 years. And it seems like that's going to start disappearing starting in 2024. Well, it seems so. If you look at Canada, US, it's like 2 nothing Canada. One, they get their refunds. Two, the soccer team beat the U.S. women. It's like 2 nothing Canada over the U.S. already on these two big Olympic events. Uh, here's the fun one, by the way. And I love unleashing Mike McCann on things because you, I already know when we talk about stories, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be smarter when this is over. And again, those of, uh, those of you who listen to our podcast at our former stop, uh, I, I always would say, I don't know what I think until Mike McCann tells me what I need to think. So... Uh, I was interested to see what he would come up with on this Guardians versus Guardians. Major League Baseball's Cleveland Indians, of course, announced they are changing the name to the Cleveland Guardians. For those of you who do not know, it, these big statues on the bridges in Cleveland, they are the Guardians of Transportation. They didn't just pull it out of nowhere. It is it, it is related to the history of the city, so that, that's the reason they did it. But <laughs> there is a roller derby team in Cleveland called the Cleveland Guardians. Now, they did not trademark the name, but they have been using it commercially for several years. And after the baseball team announced, they did move to trademark Cleveland Guardians. Oftentimes, this sort of thing will be cleaned up before anything is announced, but that is not the case here. What did you glean from Professor McCann's article? I mean, there's two things that I that I gleaned. First of all, I didn't realize this, but apparently the Cleveland Indians, when they were shopping their new name, they they tr- moved to trademark this first in Mauritius, the, uh, the 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 country in the Indian Ocean, as a way of it seems like trying to start a trademark process without the the U.S. media, like Michael McCann, like you or I, getting wind of where they were leaning. As some people may know, and, and they, maybe they don't. Oftentimes when teams are picking a new name, we'll use the the Washington football team, for example. There are journalists that are scanning the trademark applications on a daily basis, hoping to get some sense of where the team is going by early trademark applications. And if any any crazies want to join the fun, that's (laughs) USPTO.gov. Exactly. Trademark search, basic word search, go have your fun. Live dead, you'll you'll learn a whole bunch. You're going to go down a rabbit hole, you know, tweet at us next week and let me know how much productivity you lost because you're checking out trademarks. So so to avoid that, the Indian 
we had started this process in Mauritius in April, it sounds like. They announced the new team name in late June, or late July, sorry. And then when they apply on the USPTO, they reference, oh, by the way, in this other jurisdiction in the Indian Ocean, we've been trying to do this since April. So that's our starting date for when we're trying to do it. Uh, the other thing, which which M- Michael McCann lays out so well, is that the being the first to trademark things is not necessarily the thing that the law bends towards. It really bends towards who's the first to use those trademarks. And in that scenario, I mean, this, this roller derby circuit, Scott owns clevelandguardians.com. <laughs> it's hard to argue that they were not using this first. They are also, it seems like at this point, starting to sell merchandise. They're both sports and entertainment assets. There's a lot of overlap even in the industry as a whole, but it seems like a massive oversight uh, for what probably had a ton of consultants working on the process of getting the Indians a new name. And I'm not going to name names, but do you remember years ago when our previous podcast was called the Bloomberg Business of Sports? Mm-hmm. Somebody else in the podcast world also had business of sports in in him and reached out to me and was sort of hinting like, hey, um, you know, I have a show called this and it's business of sport and you know, I've been using it since hey, we started the show this way. And my response, having dealt with this quite a bit, knowing about first use importance, was like, my response was, well, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we did start the Bloomberg Business of Sports report like nine years ago. So um, never heard back from that particular person. But I thought it was a little odd just because it's like, oh, business of sports, it's just a genre, right? It's only normal if, if there is more than one show just to sort of use that as what, I mean, Sportacast, we're special now. This is a great one. We didn't have to say business of sport. It's the Sportacast playing off Sportico. But I, I just, it did kick in the memory that these things happen large scale, small scale, uh, and that first use exception did did ring in my, in my head. So it'd be interesting to see if the baseball team cuts a check if the roller derby team is open to that, who knows? Uh, but I don't know. Uh, tell me about Notre Dame football, by, by the way. This this just popped up. And I think it's the way we're going nowadays. If you want to watch the Notre Dame opener, was it Toledo, right? Toledo. Notre Dame, Toledo. Yeah. Uh, don't put on NBC. <laughs> I mean, a, an NBC property, yes, but not NBC proper. Yeah, I think Notre Dame fans have been spoiled for the past, however, 20, 25 years, 30 years to, to, to get all of their games on NBC, kind of no matter where they are in the country. And that's starting to change. The As you said, the Toledo home opener this year is going to be streamed on Peacock exclusively, uh, which means that you need to be a subscriber to Peacock to watch it. Um, and this is something that's happening in other sports for a while now. The, the example I always give, Scott, is uh, folks who are love to watch English Premier League here in the U.S. have noticed in the past another NBC property, but have noticed in the past few years that just having an MB, even an NBC cable subscription is not enough to get you all the games that it did at once. And I think you're right. This is a signal of, of, of things to come where media companies that have rights are even going to slice and dice those rights within their own ecosystems. And when you're a company like well, NBC- just look, at, look at the Olympics, right? I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. And my yeah. God, if we had Krupi on the phone, we'd never get off this <laughs> podcast. But- I mean, just look at the Olympics. If you wanted to watch men's men's basketball, that was only on Peacock. You had to have the subscription. Yeah, and you understand it from the NBC side, right? This is a relatively new property. They sure. want they want content that them. is going to make yeah. people sign up for Peacock. There will be Notre Dame football fans that sign up for Peacock just because the Toledo game in early September is is exclusive on that service, and that's what NBC is going for. But no question, this idea that oh, I'm a cable subscriber to ESPN, so I get all of 
the things ESPN has rights to, that's no longer the way this industry works anymore because ESPN, like NBC, just has so many little different different distribution channels within the full parent. And you might need access to two or three of them just to get the whole suite of things. Oh, we're not even going to talk about John Skipper saying the Super Bowl may go to pay-per-view to make mm. up for the ad. We don't even have time for that, so forget it. Maybe we'll get to it next time. He is Edmund Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cor Veltman. She loves when I remind you that the show is at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network. 